Congregation, please remain standing for our gospel lesson today from the 25th chapter of Matthew. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His throne of glory. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. And I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick and in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it unto one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it unto me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it unto one of the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Not only has our side-by-side -side respite choir and volunteers, leaders modeled that, this very passage for us today, but two volunteers in that program and newer members to our congregation, the most active servant leaders among us, Bill and Beverly Ellis, certainly have modeled what renewal through service looks like. I invite them to come forward now as they share a little bit of their story. Okay, I'll go first. I don't know why I'm so nervous. These are my friends and I'm at home. Look at who's here. They're my buddies. I'll begin by telling you that I am a very fortunate woman. God has blessed me all of my life. I had loving parents, four beautiful sisters, Bill and my two precious boys, not to mention my seven grandchildren. Not a whole lot of money, but a whole lot of love and a whole lot of fun. There's never been a time in my life when I did not believe in God. There were times, however, when I pushed him aside. I was too tired, too busy, or just bad at him. I, can't I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. I can reflect and see that he was blessing me, even during the tough times. And there were some tough times. I can't tell you why I was chosen to speak to you today. There's so many who do so much more than I do. Sorry, I saw a <laughs> Anyway, 
I can tell you what service to others has done for me and continues to do. It was a couple of weeks before I followed Bill into the respite service. He would come home and he'd be so excited and animated and happy and I just felt kind of empty. So I thought about it and then I just dove in. It was a couple of weeks, like I said, but my first trip on the bus, on the church bus, was to the museum to sing with these lovely people. And on the way back, I sat in the seat next to a man named Ray, a quiet little Italian fellow who really wasn't very verbal. He didn't speak much. But for some reason, he talked to me that day. I fell in love with that little man, and I never saw him again. His folks moved him to Mobile. But God put me in that seat next to Ray. And at the same time, he put a fire in my heart for service to others and to my precious respite program. Serving these beautiful people has given me more joy than you could ever imagine. If I live to be 100, I can repay it. Just a smile, small smile or a twinkle in the eye makes my day. God has also blessed me with the sweet friendships of the godly men and women who volunteer with me. I needed them desperately in my life and they just took me in, just took me in and immediately I belonged. I love this church for so many reasons. But mostly I love it because of its opportunities to learn about and to serve God. I've never seen a church where so many people came together for its well-being. Just about everybody works and does something in this church. It's wonderful. I invite you to join us, to join in. But be careful because joy is contagious. It has changed my life, and it has given me a renewed relationship with my God. I am profoundly grateful. Thank you. Boy, it doesn't get any better than this. To be in my father's house, surrounded by my biological family, my precious, precious respite family, and my first Methodist family. God is good. Good morning. While I was preparing what I was going to say when I came to you this morning to to speak about how serving others has renewed and, and refurbished my life, I started thinking this is, this is not just my story. This is our story. I have heard so many of my, my fellow respite partners tell me the same things that I'm gonna tell you this morning. My journey 
in service began with the respite ministry about four years ago. I had traveled with my mother through a seven-year struggle with Alzheimer's. I knew firsthand the effects that it had on families and caregivers. I knew that I could help. As the weeks went by, I found myself more and more excited about getting to respite. I felt a, a depth of joy that I had never experienced before. I discovered a part of me that I never knew existed, the absolute joy of vulnerability, mm. of being vulnerable to giving and receiving unconditional love. That joy has changed my life. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better grandfather. I get an amen. <laughs> and a better neighbor. First Methodist has so many opportunities for us to serve from from Family Promise to the Stephen Ministry to Meals on Wheels, not to mention a myriad of programs outside the walls of the church that so many of our members are, are so active in serving the homeless, the hungry, the disenfranchised. Whatever your place is, I urge you to find it. Find that that place in you where you can release that joy that is without replication. I would like to close this morning with just a few words from Paul in one of my favorite books in the Bible, the 13th chapter of, of Corinthians. And then there were three. Faith hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. And if you ever think why Paul chose love as the greatest thing in the world, it's the only thing that is going to last. Faith will be served by sight, hope by the affirmation and return of our of our Savior, what we're left with is love, and love is eternal because God is love. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Beverly. Prayers, presents, gifts, service, and witness. The five means through which we may experience renewal and I'm here to tell you this morning there's a spirit of renewal sweeping over our church family. What an exciting time to be a part of all that God is doing at First United Methodist Church and in our city. Sheep and goats, that's how Jesus classifies us. Who will be the goats and who will be the sheep? Now, in pop culture, when we think about goats, we usually think about the greatest of what? All time. Yeah, yeah, goats, right? On the count of three, tell me the greatest football coach of all time. You ready? 
Today's not a good day to do that, probably. <laughs> we all have our goats, the greatest, right? According to Matthew, goats do not fare very well in God's kingdom. Because in the kingdom of God, the last will be first, and the first will be last. The greatest become the least, and the least are raised up to places of prominence. Every mountain will be made low, and every valley shall be exalted, is how Isaiah puts it. And then Jesus models that for us. There's something else about this teaching today. Because this parable could very easily become a weapon of mass destruction, you know. Hellfire, brimstone, damnation, you're in and you're out, and we can just start making our, our judgments however we like. You sheep, you come over here. You all are safe. You goats, you go over there, and it's about to get hot. <laughs> but we can also try to think about our sheep and goat columns, and we can go crazy if, if we're trying to work our way into the, the kingdom of God and miss God's grace that is, that is already here, or if we, we beat each other over the head with who's in and who's out, or if we use this as a fear tactic. Fear is not a gospel motivator, but grace is. This is not a, a clarion call to serve the least among us just so we can get out of hell and have the card in our back pocket. Jesus does not put us in our hell. We put ourselves there. So one of the things I love about this passage is that we can help others get out of their hell. When Jesus says serve... He's saying, see the people who through their hunger and their poverty and their brokenness and their loneliness, are, they're already in hell, and go to them and pull them out. And in doing so, we might just find renewal ourselves. Fear is not a motivator of the gospel. It shouldn't be. Uh, so much so that the parable of the talents just before this this particular parable that I, I read, it talks about a servant who, who was so fearful of the master. The master came and gave him all talents. Do you remember that? And, and one servant multiplied it by this amount, and one servant multiplied the talent by this amount. But there was the one servant who was so stricken by fear that that servant dug a hole and, and put the talent in there and, and buried it and covered it back up and said, hey, at least, boss, I didn't lose it. I know, know where to find it. Fear drives us to do that. Fear blurs our vision and it leads to parochialism and it traps us and it turns our hearts inward and fear paralyzes us. Uh, one writer named Robert McClellan says, if Jesus was about anything, he was about motion and moving. That's why I love the hallelujah motions. Jesus was here this morning in those hallelujahs. Thank you. To be in a relationship with Jesus Christ to see the kingdom of God, to know renewal means to be on the move and not be paralyzed by fear. I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, every single person here can move. We can move to our knees in prayer, or we can move from a posture of clenching and controlling life to, to release and vulnerability, right? We can move from giving 
what's left over at the end of each month to giving the first fruits to the church and trusting it in the master's hands. We can move from, from giving an amount to the church that we've given seven or eight years in a row and, and challenge ourselves to, to step forward by faith. We can move from the sanctuary to the street. Fear freezes, but the Spirit releases. During the season of giving and renewal, let not your hearts be troubled about tomorrow. I, I know it's a big ask to say, will you be loyal? Will you renew your covenant with your prayers and your presence and your gifts and your service and your witness? I know that's a big thing to ask for next week when we make our commitment right here. But do not be afraid. You will find renewal in doing so. Fear causes us to focus on the things that we cannot do, to focus on shame and, and guilt and, and all of these things. I, Helen Keller is attributed with a quote that you all know, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. What if we adopted that and said as a church, we are only one, but we are still one. We cannot do everything, but we can do something. And because we cannot do everything, we will not refuse to do the one thing we can do. Can we end world hunger? No. But we can address it in our neighborhoods. Can we eradicate violence? I think so. By investing in programs that take in at-risk students, and by being a place that works in the prisons and, and everywhere else where people are at risk and trying to reassimilate with life and just figure it out, we can do that. Can we do anything about the homeless population? I believe we can. I believe you are. I don't know how many blankets and coats we have given to people, but it's one step in the right direction. We are not afraid to address the needs among us. So whether you're watching by the internet today or by WSFA or here now, every one of us can do something. We all have a, the joy and the hope and the peace that another human being in this world needs. How do we do that? Well, not by focusing on the complexities of ministry, but by the simplicity of Jesus' words. Share some food. Give somebody something to drink. If you have two coats, share one. Offer hospitality to people who are strangers and passing through. Offer companionship to someone who's lonely. Every one of us has something to share with someone else. But our, and our job is to love, and our job is to serve. Our job is not to ask if that person is worthy of our love and service. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, Jay, do you have life all together? Because if you do, then we can move forward in a relationship. The beauty of this snapshot of Jesus' kingdom lies in the truth that neither you or I have to bring a resume to the table and say, all right, 
I've checked off all the Bible studies. I have my theology figured out. I have all my relationships and my finances in place, and they're all just golden exactly where they need to be. We don't have to have all of life to figured out before we decide that we're going to serve others. And the people we serve, they don't have to have it all figured out either. The waters of this baptism draw us forward and compel us and propel us into ministry with others. So I'm glad that Grace says, you don't have to have it all figured out, Jay. At the end of the day, we lean on each other in the power of the Spirit. I often tell people I'm not interested in life after death. I, I feel like I have that part figured out. What I am interested in is life before death. A lot of times we ask the question, when is Jesus coming back? And we try to read the signs, and people have been doing that for 2,000 years, but that's the wrong question. Jesus is already here. In the hungry child, in the adult wanting to learn how to read, and the man at the base of the Forest Avenue exit, the woman behind us who's worried if her, her card has enough on it to pay for groceries for her children or medicine for her family, the dad whose son is awaiting trial, the son who's petrified there for making a wrong decision, he's scared to death, and the elderly woman who, who's all alone in her nursing home room just praying to God that one person would come and visit her. Jesus is already here. In our service to Jesus Christ, I encourage us to flock to those who are already part of the flock. As the story goes, Ruth went to her mailbox and there was only one letter. And so she picked it up and she looked at it before opening and she noticed something interesting. There was no stamp on the letter, there was no return address on the envelope. A lot of times when I get those, I, I just discard them, that's my practice. But this woman decided to open it and to read it and it said, Dear Ruth, I'm going to be in your neighborhood Saturday afternoon and I would like a visit with you. Love always, Jesus. Well, her hands were shaking and she placed the letter on the table. Why would Jesus want to visit me? I'm nobody special. I don't have anything to offer. And then all of a sudden she realized that her pantry, that her refrigerator, completely empty. She didn't have enough food to prepare a place. Oh my goodness, I don't have anything to offer, she thought. So she reached for the purse and she counted the contents, $5.40. She said, I can get some bread. I can get a little bit of meat. We can at least have a sandwich. And so she threw on her coat. She hurried out the door. She grabbed a loaf of bread. She grabbed a, a little bit of milk and she grabbed some meat and she put it in a brown paper sack and she hurried on her way. Groceries under arm, headed home. That's when she heard somebody say, hey lady, can you help us? So Ruth had been a absorbed in her dinner plans, and she hadn't noticed the two figures kind of behind her in the alleyway. There's a man and a woman dressed in not much more than what we would call rags. Look, lady, I don't have a job, you know, and, and my wife and I, we've been living out here on the street. It's getting colder, and the rain's starting to fall, and I'm kind of hungry, and, and can you help us? We, we would really appreciate it. So Ruth looked at both of them, very dirty, and had an odor about them was certain that they could get a job if they really wanted to. Sir, I'd like to help you, but I'm a poor woman myself, and see, all I have left are, are 12 cents. 
I have an important guest coming to the house, you know, so I have to go home and prepare the food. Yeah, that's okay, I understand. Thanks anyway. So the man put his arm around his wife's shoulders and they turned back and headed into the alley and then Ruth noticed that she was shivering. Sir, wait, she said. And the couple stopped and they turned around the alley and said, look, why don't you take this food? I'll, I'll figure something else out to serve my guest. No problem, y'all take this food. And then she unbuttoned, unzipped her coat and she said, I have another coat at home. I'll, I'll give this coat to you. She put it around his cold wife. You know, thank you. Thank you, lady, very much. Well, Ruth was quite chilled by the time she reached her front door and she was worried and she said, the Lord is coming and I don't have a single thing to offer the Lord. So she fumbled through her purse for the key and as she did, she noticed another envelope in the mailbox. No stamp, no return address. So she opened it. Dear Ruth, it was so good to see you again today. Thank you for the lovely meal and the warm coat. Love always, Jesus. I think if Jesus were writing us a letter today, he would say, I'm going to be in your neighborhood this week. I hope we can visit one another. I'm going to be in your workplace. I hope we can meet up. Hey, teenagers, I'm going to be in your classroom and in the hallways. I hope that you will at least speak to me. I'm going to be mentioned a time or two in the news this week. You're going to see me there. I'm going to be walking the street and riding a bicycle and probably sitting under a bridge to stay warm, and so maybe I'll see you. Love always, Jesus. Feed, clothe, visit, welcome, help others. These persons are not metaphors. Neither is Jesus. Amen.